Welcome back to episode 38's Full Flush with Christina Schneck Cutlass, author of the book I Quit, Facing Cancer with Faith, Family, Friends, and Sarcasm. There's a lot of that, too. We continue our conversation, and we get into more details about our cancer, as well as the topic of looking fine, but not really uh, being fine. And I think that that's something everyone can relate to. I think it's important to hear that, to know that, you know, no matter what it is, you're not alone. I believe Christina talked about it in the pit stop about the, um, it's not a competition of, you know, who has it worse. So I think it's always helpful to know that others feel that way. But I think what's really insightful, too, is that you kind of get an inside peek into someone's thoughts and feelings. Because if someone in your life is going through a really difficult season, the best thing we can do is just be that compassionate person to someone and not grill them with questions. And so uh, I love that Christina not only um, was on today, she has a book, but I think the more we can fill ourselves with other people's stories, it allows us to be that much more compassionate with others if they are either going through a similar trial or if we one day face, you know, a trial. And I shouldn't say if, it's when, it's when those trials come. And so uh, continue the conversation with us. And if you haven't listened to the Pit Stop episode, go back and listen to that and join us back here. Coming to you from the M&M Exterior Studio in Nooksville, Virginia, this is Flushing It Out with Samantha Spittle. The introvert's extrovert. She talks to people so you don't have to. For now. I feel like the reaction I always get after interviews is, I thought we were going to talk about this, but we didn't. You know, we talked about this. And that's kind of why I'm like, I don't know if I should prepare or not. But part of my goal of the podcast, and this is me just figuring my own stuff out, is like, Wanting people to get back to conversations and, like, back to the non-niche world, if you will. Like, I kind of think about back in the day with Oprah, like how you watched Oprah. And some days it was about this. Other days it was about this. Where now everyone's like, I listen to a business podcast. I listen to a this podcast. And, I mean, there's goodness in all of that. Yeah. But what about just, like, if no one listened to you share, don't do this, don't do that. Like, you're so boxed up, which I love. Like, for me, that's why I love hanging out with people because I feel like then I go back to my friends who don't get together with people as much as I do. And I'm like, oh, yeah, don't do not do that. Don't. And then so I just kind of want to get people back to having that perspective. I think it just kind of depends on you. I mean, I've done not a ton, but, like, I've done several podcasts at this point. Yeah. And they're all very different. And some of them are like, these are the questions I'm going to ask you. Yeah. And, like, I come in very prepared with quotes and, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, and other times they're like, we're just going to talk and see where it goes. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, so I think it just depends on how you want to do it. Yeah. I, I have gotten ones that are like, these are the exact questions we're going to ask you. So I did um, Jesus Calling, which I'm still waiting to come out because they actually took me – is that and, like the book, The Jesus Calling book? Yeah. Oh, awesome. So We're they reading have, that with our children at night. Um, they have a podcast as well. And f- when I pitched them, so f- uh, February 15th of Jesus Calling is – like someone gave me the book, and that was the day I opened up to was February 15th. And that ended up being like a mantra for me. But it was um, 
stop telling me what to do and focus on what I'm already doing. And remember that I'm able to do infinitely more than you could ever imagine to ask me for. Mm. And like, that was so good. And that kind of became like our thing. And so Mm. every day I would read like whatever day it was and February 15th. Mm. And so when I pitched Jesus Calling, I was like, I want to talk about how this day Oh, it's Jesus Calling for, for kids. kids. Oh, so I'm curious to see what... Yours might not be the same. I know. That's why I'm curious if they do do that. Um, but that was so special to me. And so when I pitched it to them, they were like, we don't have any holes in our podcast for the next year. We're going to tape you anyway. And, like, someone's going to be sick or, like, a, we're not going to, like, an interview or, like, something. So we don't know when we're going to do it, but we're going to do it and, like... That's it. So I'm still waiting for that one to come out. But they were one. It was a really interesting podcast experience because they sent me the questions ahead of time. And it was like six questions. And they were very specific questions. Mm -hmm. And so I prepped them. And you don't actually talk to Sarah. So Sarah hosts the podcast. But basically what they do is they have a whole production team that does the interviews. Uh And so they interviewed me. And then someone cuts the answers. And then they rewrite the questions exactly how she's going to answer them. And she records the script of her talking to you. But, like, you never actually talk to her. So that was the most interesting one that I've done. Um, Hmm. But I've also done, I mean, just random stuff. Because I feel like my life right now is like the movie Yes Man. Yeah, just say yes to it all. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you for saying yes to this. I mean, you said yes. (laughs) I know, but you said yes when it came across your path. So thank you for that. Um, But so they're all different. Yeah. And so whether you prepare or don't prepare, I think it just depends on the feeling you want to have. And I don't feel like any way is necessarily better than any other way. Like, I would really love it if everyone had the time to read my book before they talked to me. Because I would love for them to tell me, like, what they thought I did right and what I did wrong. Well, so you know what I think? So Rebecca Bertram, um, she is pastor. Her and her husband are starting a church. It might be in a, is it an Assemblies of God church? It, it might be. It is. In yeah. Charlottesville. Yeah. So um, they started a church. She's a teacher. She actually spoke at my women's retreat last year for church. That's how we connected. What's so crazy is that she had a book. She was my first guest on the podcast. She came back for a second time. Didn't read the book either time. Because it's um because I heard her speak and she talked about it and it was it's called Our Broken Hallelujahs which now I've read and it's a great book and I highly recommend. Um, but she talked because I heard her speak. It's like she just experienced like a lot of like death and whatnot in her life. Lots of hardness, like hard, hardness, hard things. And I just was like, I don't feel like reading that. I don't feel like kind of yeah. whatever. And we just have had a lot of stuff going on and. One day I just saw it and I'm like, I think I need to read this book. Like I'm going through some really hard times and the stuff that was in there, like if you don't believe in God, like it is so crazy. And um, just, I mean, that's like side note that it just was so crazy and apparent that like, holy moly, God, like you are just, you're at work and the way you weave it all together is amazing. But point being, now that I've read it, I'm like, oh, now I need to have her come back. And we actually need to, like, Talk about book, book club the book, you know. Um, and today, too. So I was glad that we were able to have the yeah. conversation we had. But I would love to, like, then dig back in. It's too. always interesting, too, to go talk to people 
like I just did a women's conference on Saturday and I've got another one in two weeks. And so I'm doing a lot of speaking to groups, which is fun, but also like I've told the story so many times. I'm like, how does everyone not know this story at this point? Like, I feel like you've all heard this before, but no, it's just me. I've heard it before. Yeah. Our circle of friends tells stories over Over and and over and over again. Yeah. And they never get old. Uh, I'm sure to some people they get old. So, yeah, that's true. I I don't remember when it was you guys were talking about whatever it was, but it prompted this question in my head. Okay. What's the craziest assumption somebody has come to you with about brain cancer? Um, Because me personally, I was sort of like, you talked about how you have trouble remembering names. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's associated with brain cancer. or I don't know either. Maybe I'm just getting old. Hard to say. Because okay. right. the, the funny thing is, like, I'll be talking about someone and I'll be like, okay, they have, like, red hair and three kids. And their kids do these activities. Mm-hmm. And this is where they, like, I can tell you everything about them. But, just like, the names. Yeah. Um, and that feels like a newer thing. It does feel like a newer thing. But mm-hmm. I'm also getting older. So, like, yeah. who knows? I hear um, you, girl. And I also, like, I will get so angry about something. Like, especially after the brain surgery, like. My brain just worked slower. Like, they had done horrible things to it. I basically had a traumatic brain injury, right? Yeah. And I was so impatient with myself. And Mm. I would, I mean, just tears. Like, I was, I remember standing in the kitchen one day, and I couldn't remember the word refrigerator. And my brain was just tired. I mean, it was late, and I was just, my brain was tired. And I'm crying. I'm going to be stupid forever. Like, and Mm. um, the funny part is... I've always been, like, a back-and-forth kind of a person. Mm-hmm. And my husband jokes with me. He's like, you're still working faster than everyone else. It's just slower than you're used to. But, like, most people still can't keep up with you. Like, <laughs> it's going to be okay. Um, but so I notice everything that I do. And um, I think one of – I don't know if it's an assumption about brain cancer, But, like, most people know about, like, glioblastomas. Like, they love to put glioblastomas on medical shows because that's, Mm -hmm. like, the things doctors can't fix. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I know, like, we had started watching ER because there's nothing good on television, so you have to go back and watch old things. Mm -hmm. So, we were watching ER, and we got to the point where the head doctor, Dr. Green, gets Mm -hmm. a glioblastoma. And I was like, done. No more. Like, and I know they do it because, like, here are these doctors, and they can't cure themselves of this glioblastoma. Um. And the survival rates are not fantastic for brain cancer. Um, And the thing that's hard about it is when you tell people, even like medical people, that you have brain cancer or brain tumor, they make the face. Mm -hmm. There is a, a brain cancer face that they make, which is, oh, crap, you are basically a dead man walking. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, like with my ependymoma, And I've learned to get over it. But, like, if I see a new general practitioner and they're looking at my medical history and they're like, oh, you had a brain tumor, what type? And I tell them, I have to spell it for them. Like, it's rare. It's uncommon. Like, people don't know a lot about it. And, like, they always want to be like, well, tell me what treatment was like and what's your prognosis? And I'm like, I just would really like to have you fix my sinus infection. But, like, okay. (laughs) Um, And working with. Well, at least they're interested in it. Yeah. I, I feel like I need to print up a sheet and just bring it with me or, like, yeah. give out copies of my book. Like, here, you can read this. Yeah. Um, 
It's, so I don't know if that's really an assumption about brain cancer, but people do make the brain cancer face mm, at yeah. you. And mm. that's a thing. I was talking to a cancer support group the other day, and a woman had come, and I actually, like, I, I try really hard to read rooms. Mm-hmm. So, like, as I'm talking, like, if I notice, like, this does not seem to be resonating, like, I'll, I'll try and turn. Yeah. Um, but I was having a really hard time at this cancer support group because everyone else that was there, like, they're in it with me. I mean – in it with mm-hmm. me. And this one woman, I'm just like, I don't feel like I'm reaching you. Like, nothing I'm mm-hmm. saying is resonating with you. And she actually came up afterwards and apparently just, like, this woman needs to be in the World Series of Poker. Because after mm. everyone left, she waited for everyone to leave. And came up and just starts pouring her heart out to me. And she had a stage 4 pancreatic cancer diagnosis. And I'm like, listen, here's what we're going to do. You are going to be available to be the 2%. Like, I I know exactly what the pancreatic cancer survival rates are because that's the one thing, like, in the brain cancer community, we're like, well, at least it's not pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. Like, that's our one. Like, if we're doing the suffering Olympics, pancreatic cancer beats us every time. Yeah. So I know that the survival rate is 2%. Wow. And so I just looked straight at her. I was like, someone's got to be the 2%. You be available to be the 2% until someone tells you, like, you are literally getting put in a box. Mm -hmm. So... That's what we do, like, and for for anything, for any kind of brain cancer. And there is, I mean, there's a certain amount of, like, survivor's guilt that I have over the fact that, like, I didn't have a glioblastoma. I had, like, the, on the scale of relative suckiness, I have, like, the pretty good kind of brain cancer. Mm -hmm. And I have it as an adult, Mm -hmm. Um, which was fun for my doctors, I guess. So the, the posterior fossa presentation that I had. And apparently my tumor was like an octopus, which Um, they hadn't seen before. So mine had like little tentacles that it had wrapped around things, which is why the surgery took so long. It had had to like, yeah, they had to take them off. So it had wrapped around my brainstem. It had wrapped around like the major um, arteries and blood vessels. You are a walking miracle. That's crazy. It is super crazy. Um, But what they were really excited about was that I had the pediatric presentation, even though I was a full-grown adult. And the great part about that is they could blast me with some stuff that they can't do to kids. And they were so excited. And I was like, great, let's do it. Because one of the things – there's a picture – Hold on, I will show you. I love how you said, like, they're excited because before when we were saying it's great to have friends in the medical community mm-hmm. because that you can they can, like, take anything. And it's one of those that, depending on who you're talking to. They would not like, get that, yeah. Yeah, well, it's like well, it's like one of these, okay, we're talking about really scary, depressing stuff. So we can either go down that road or we can say, this is really cool. So I met this little girl at my Silver Sparkles a couple of years ago, oh. and she has an appendomoma. And, like... It was one of the hardest conversations I've ever had because she comes up to me and she's like, I am so excited to meet you. And she has a lot of um, residual side effects from her treatment. Like she shakes and it's hard for her to talk. And she's like, I just, oh, I don't even know if I can say it without crying. Mm. Hold on. I'm going to be okay. (laughs) Um, She's like, I'm so excited to meet you because no one ever understands how something so small can hurt so much. Oh, I can't do it. That's okay. Um, But I was like, oh, my gosh. I like yes, I totally get it. And so one of the things I'm acutely aware of is like everything I had to go through, these children have to do. That is so awful. So 
that was like an honor to me that yeah. like they were like we can test you with all these things that we don't think kids could survive so like we want to see what the maximum dose that you can handle oh. is oh wow okay that sounds great um but that's the thing with like that's one of the reasons I go like every year to um head to the hill which is where we go to congress and lobby for research dollars and like um funding because there's so few of us yeah but there's only um there's four chemotherapy drugs that will work with brain tumors because there's the blood-brain barrier. Mm-hmm. So with breast cancer, there's like 30 drugs. And if one doesn't work for you, they'll just try another mm-hmm. one. With brain cancer, like, the options are pretty limited. Yeah. And with my type of cancer, chemotherapy is not even supposed to work. Yeah. So they're actually, like, dicing up pieces of my tumors right now trying to figure out what about my particular ependymoma made it chemotherapy-sensitive. Because the whole reason we did the Temidar for a whole year, like, and that was an experiment, like, which is, it's a little intimidating when you're sitting in the office with your doctor. And, like, this is a woman who is, like, renowned in the brain cancer community. Like, Mm -hmm. she's super famous. And we're sitting there, and she's like, okay, so we finished the radiation, and, like, I like it. I don't love it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, that means there's still stuff there, right? Mm-hmm. I want to do more chemo. I feel like your tumors are responding to the chemo. Okay. And this is like at NIH, they were like, we're not going to do chemo. I talk about this in the book. They NIH gave me the option, and they have Mark Gilbert there, who is like the world-renowned expert on ependymomas. But when we went, he was like, I want to do proton therapy, which is a very new type of radiation, and no chemo. And Duke was like, we want to do traditional radiation and we want to do chemo. And the NIH option was less less toxic and less harmful to my body. And I decided to go to Duke because I was like, I need to be able to look in the mirror and be like, I came at it with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Was we were, that the deciding factor? Yes. Was like, I, I need, I I need to, to be able to say I gave this everything I had. Um, but like to have her sitting there and being like, okay, I feel like the chemo is working. But it hasn't had enough time. So what I would like to try is either, like, monthly infusions or daily oral chemotherapy. No one's ever tried either. What do you feel like? Like, it's a weird thing. Yeah, I wrote down the uh, 365 days of chemotherapy every day. Every day. I was like, that's intense. And one of the interesting things about Temdar, and one of the things, like, I really think this has made me a better person, is you don't lose your hair from Temdar. So I looked like this the whole time. Wow. And that... But you still get the side effects? Aside from... I mean, I had the nausea. I had one fun thing that I had was the inactive ingredient in Temidar is lactose, which I'm allergic to. Oh, And there is no version that doesn't have it. (laughs) So I had, like, head-to-toe eczema for an entire year. Oh, no. Um, But, like, wasn't dead, so whatever. Yeah. but no, it's not a cupcake though. Not a cupcake. Yeah. Um, but like, people would get frustrated some days when I would be like, you know, I can't, I can't come to that. Like, I'm just exhausted. And I tried to push through so much, but like, mm. there would be times when I'd hit a wall, or more often than not, if I'm gonna be honest, like I'm an idiot, and my husband had to be smart for me, and would be like, she cannot come to that. Yeah. She is exhausted. It's a no. And I'd be like, I'm fine. And he'd be like, you are falling asleep at the wheel of your car going to Giant, which is five minutes from our house. Like, yeah. it's no. Um, but people were like, well, she looks fine. 
It's like, a whole looks fine is very hard. Looks fine is hard. And so I think I've learned to have a lot more compassion for people because you might look fine, but I don't know what's going on with you. Mm-hmm. I joked for a long time. I've gotten better <clears throat> and now it doesn't bother me. But the whole left side of me is like really bad pins and needles. Like oh. the pins and needles you get where it's like stabby yeah. since my brain surgery. And all the time? All the time. Wow. And when I first um, was recovering, Austin would actually stand on the left side of me so people wouldn't touch me. Because if someone grabbed my arm to be like comforting or did like a little pat, I would scream. Like it hurt so bad. Mm. And I joked for a long time I was going to make like a line of cancer survivor apparel Mm -hmm. with like caution tape on it. Yeah, don't don't touch. (laughs) Not here. Over here. Here. Um, Yes. Good. Bad. Yeah, move it around. Yeah. Um, It's actually not a bad idea. (laughs) But I think a lot of people don't realize that just because you can't see that someone is in pain doesn't mean they're not. And Mm -hmm. I've talked to a lot of people with like lupus and stuff that are like, thank you for saying that because I look fine. I'm not fine. That's like the whole autoimmune disease, um, autoimmune problems. And actually I'm, I was talking to a friend recently whose daughter has um, some medical needs, but it, it comes across behavioral. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just, I had this aha moment that I thought, you know, if she looked like she had a disability, you know, mm-hmm. physically, if she was physically impaired in some way, you'd say, oh, well, like if she's, we'll just say um, acting out's not the right word. But if she were, you know, causing a disturbance, we'll just put it that way, you know, with yeah. like loud noises. I mean, like, well, she's got a, you know, I can see yeah, there's a problem. But when there's not, I feel like there's this added pressure that you, you have to look okay. And, and same thing, like you didn't lose your hair. So therefore you must be fine. Where, yeah, oh, it's just that's what this whole compassion thing. I just feel like lately it's like we just it's the greatest thing we can give someone is just it having is. that compassion. And I actually um, I tell people all the time now. So when people get sick with cancer, I actually usually back out. Because I know that everyone else is going to be like, oh, this is the current project. Like, we want to take a casserole. We want to whatever. I am the person that shows up on the day that you're like, I rang the bell today. The next day I'm on the phone with you. Hello. You have entered the back 40. And mm. I am here for this. Because then people are like, she's done with treatment. And they want it to be like when you have strep throat and you take the antibiotics and then you are better. Mm. And that's not how cancer works. So for me... When I finished treatment the first time, between the surgery and the radiation, they told us 18 to 24 months of recovery. People are not interested in you being sick for that long. And so I was like, okay, I am going to be the person that picks you up when everyone else is like, okay, you're done now. Mm -hmm. Because I know you're not. And so I try really hard to be there for people on that back end because people are really there. People, I mean, do show up mm-hmm. really hard when you have that initial diagnosis. But once you, you know, ring the bell or you're done or whatever, um, they kind of like, okay, we're back mm-hmm. to normal now and you're not back to normal. And so I want to be there for that part. And so that's what I try to do. I love that you said that. I, um, I like one of my struggles is like migraines and I just get like really bad headaches and I dealt with it a few years ago and I have a good friend and we had a really good conversation once because she said, I realized I was waiting for you to get better. Like you had a broken arm. Mm -hmm. And because for me, a lot of dealing with my headaches, it wasn't just 
you know, the medicine of detoxing and figuring out what I needed and all this stuff. But it's like lifestyle too. Like, oh, I was only, I thought I was this go, go, go person who was up for anything. Yeah. But I also popped Excedrin every day yep. <laughs> to do that. And like, uh, you know, I'm an extrovert. I love talking to people, but I never realized how much downtime I have, which okay. I never thought of it. Like, so, and that's why we go, we talked earlier. I don't know if it was recorded or not about um, inter- like how the whole personality yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. like some of it's BS and some of it's true. And so it's yeah. like, well, of course, you know, there are aspects of introvert extrovertism that are yeah. true, but everyone needs some sort of recovery time. It just might be less or more. And I didn't realize, you know, I thought, oh, I'm definitely a people person. I get energy from people. But I also like even in high school, I joke that I watched a lot of TV Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Is that, that was my you? stomach. Oh my gosh, um, <laughs> I'm hungry. That, that I watched a lot <laughs> of TV sorry. and things like no, that. No, you know, um, I'm used to. I'm like, eh. um, and so anyway, the whole point being is like I was trying to have this facade almost that like I'm a go 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 person. I'm a I'm a laid back person. Yeah, I have to pop an Excedrin because I'm probably holding on to anxiety and tension in myself. But on the outside, I'm a laid back, easygoing person. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it for me was like, oh, I need to say no a lot more. Mm-hmm. I need to chill, like laying on the couch. It used to be like my felt like a secret that I'm a lazy person, you know, because I like to lay on the couch a lot. Mm-hmm. But I kind of it's like reframing like, oh, it's not that I like doing it. It's like I physically need have to. And um, but it was just it was so helpful for me to have this conversation with my friend where she kind of like oh, this isn't a broken arm. This isn't like I was waiting for you to get better and then things would go back to normal. And this is normal now. Mm -hmm. And hearing her say that, like hearing her get it, of course, was just helpful because I felt seen. Yeah. But it also just helped put the words in for me like, oh, that is what's happening. And I need to be okay with that. And and then, of course, I appreciated that compassion. And then I want to give that to other people, too, you know, so that's a great story. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you a funny migraine story because <laughs> initially when I went to, I, I had worse and worse and worse pain. And finally my husband was like, um, and he had to feel like a jerk after. So I feel a little bit bad, but not super bad. He was like, you either need to go to the doctor or you need to stop complaining. And I was like, okay, fine. So I went to the emergency room because I was crying because of these headaches. Yeah. And the doctor was like, oh, you're having migraines. You need to like take this medicine and suck it up. So I went um, on Sunday to the ER. And then on Monday I took the medicine and was like, okay, it's going to be a good day. Like they gave me this medicine, like it's going to be awesome. So I took the medicine while I was feeding the kids breakfast. And the next thing I remember, I was waking up on my basement floor and it was 4 PM and I opened my eyes and my oldest, who was, I think eight is like, Hey mommy. And I'm like, what happened? And he's like, you were really sleepy. And I'm like, Okay. And he's like, so I had Savannah and Logan do math, but then I decided homeschooling's really hard. So we watched Veggie Tales. And I'm not allowed to use the stove when you're not around. So we had Pop Tarts. And I'm like, okay, good job. Why didn't you call daddy? And he's like, I didn't want you to get in trouble. <laughs> and I'm like, how long were you out for? Um, from 8 30 to 4. And this kid was like, I got it. I got it. We've got Pop-Tarts. I just, I love that, like, he wasn't even scared. Like, no. my mom is. T- taking a nap, apparently. And not phased. And so we had a very good conversation about, like, what a good job he did. And also, like, we call 911 if that happens. Um, yeah. But I obviously never took the migraine medication again. Yeah. So. That's funny. I, um, yeah, I had to wait to deal with my headaches. I went 
when I was like seven weeks pregnant with my son, my second, and the neurologist said I could not take drugs for a month to like because I had to you know just do yeah. all this stuff. And um, when Connor, I think, was three or four, is when I went when he started preschools when I went to the neurologist and because she said when you're done pregnant and nursing, and I always add I did not nurse him for three years, but I had to get to the point where like they could Netflix and eat on their own. Yes, between them, like they could go find food, sit in front of the TV all day. And they didn't need that constant simulation because I knew I was going to just spend, like, hours and days in bed. And I did. And, like, and they just watched a lot of Netflix. And and they're just, fine. Yeah. And they're totally fine. So yeah. you do you. Well, thanks for coming on. And I appreciate you sharing. I'm glad I finally got to meet you in person. Feel like I know you. I appreciate, I get like, to really know you. actually getting to talk to people. Because I still get people sometimes, like, we'll be in Chick-fil-A and someone will be staring me down. And I'm like did I offend you? Like, what happened? And then later they'll message me on Prince William County Moms and be like, I saw you at Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, can you talk to me and not just, like, stare at me? I know. I was – I was I, – I told you how I saw you at Durrani just recently. And I was going to talk to you because I um, just was going to be like, oh, hello. Um, but then you had left. So. Okay. But I saw you and I was You're like – You're forgiven. Thank you. <laughs> and I was like, hmm. And I didn't stare at you. You didn't see me staring, I don't think. But – um I've tried to become less self-aware about that. So like looking around. <laughs> yeah, this whole people knowing you thing, it's kind of funny with podcasts because then they hear you and know you. And yeah, I don't know. It's weird with you want people to feel like they know you because you want to share like you, your story. Yeah. And they do that, know that, me, which is why I'm like, come talk to me instead of just like staring me down like I heard your puppy. Like, yeah. Come on now. Come say hi. So what? what's next for you now? Do you, So you're promoting the book, yes. but you're kind of just doing that like – We'll see what, you know, that's just feels like a natural next step. But I, yeah, I just, I, I am really excited to get to share the message of getting to have hope and choose joy with people. And so whatever comes from that is great. Do you want to do more speaking? I love speaking to people. Yeah. I actually really have a lot of fun with it. So every time someone invites me to come and speak, I get super excited. Um, so it's just, yeah, saying yes to the opportunities that come and seeing what happens. And um, people usually ask me, like, where, like, am I done with treatment? And mm -hmm. I shared earlier with you, but I don't know if it was recording it, but mm -hmm. that, like, um, basically, like, once it comes back and has moved, mm -hmm. you're not curable, but you're treatable. And so I will be getting MRIs and stuff forever. Um, so I... Like, as long as I get to be here and help people, like, that's what I'm going to do. I don't know exactly what that will yeah. look like, especially when my kids get older and I get to get, like, a real job Yeah, that has well, feedback this, and pays money. Like, that'll Well, be this could be your real job, this writing, Maybe. sharing, speaking. That would be fun. So yeah. uh, I actually have started a second book that's about some different stuff, uh, but in, like, the same style of writing called Legit, oh. um, which, you know, if anyone's a book agent and wants to get in touch with me. <laughs> There's actually one in Warrington that's a hybrid book person too, same mm -hmm. similar model, but right here in Warrenton. And cool. uh, he specializes in faith-based books. Nice. Well, if he's listening to your podcast, he should call me. I will get you his information. I went to a talk he did, which was like a sales pitch thing, but not in a bad way. Like yeah. a here's how to here's how writing books works. And by the way, I'm this agent and stuff. And so I'm supposed nice. to have coffee with him, and then it fell through. But um, yeah. Who would give up on coffee? That's messed up. Um, but then Susan McCorkendale, she would be someone good for you to talk to, too. So her husband actually, I think, had pancreatic cancer and died. And it was, tra you know, tragic, but through it all, 
you know, just kind of what's really crazy is um, she wrote her. She lived in New Jersey, was like a New York City, Malona Blahnik, you know, whatever she uh-huh. was, girl. And her after like 9-11 and everything, like her husband just wanted to get out of that. And so they moved to like a family farm, 500 acres, cows. And so she was emailing friends all the antics of life. And they said, you need to start a blog. So she wrote a blog. But then it ended up turning into a book. And it's called um, Confessions of a Counterfeit Farm Girl. I've actually heard of that book. Yeah. Okay. And so then um, she started to write her second one. And 500 acres and nowhere to hide. And it was through that that her husband got diagnosed. And so I just saw her speak recently before she did the podcast. And she said something that for me was like, just God is like good. As he said, she said, the first book was like fun, you know, just like funny antics. And she thought the second one would just be more funny antics. And, you know, she told the publishers like, oh, my gosh, this is happening in my life. Like I'm taking care of him. And like, but I'm not going to write about that. Like. I'm writing about fun stuff. And they were like, well, you have to write about that. You know, like, not yeah, you that's have to, real. but that's real. And she said, after that, it's like, it couldn't just be fun anymore. Yeah. And I feel like for me, um, you know, like I started this, the name flushing out and everything. It's like, cause I shit my pants and I was going to take that story to the grave. And like, but, and I was like, I feel like my mission from the beginning has been the same, which is, you know, I felt that shame. I wanted to take it to the grave. I realized that I didn't really want to do that mm-hmm. um, because it sucked and I don't want people to feel like that and all the stuff we feel like yeah. we can't talk about. Um, so that's kind of where I've been. But then we just had like some major stuff happen in our life. And I've heard from other people like, oh, it's this whole what you think you're going to take to the grave is that's like the real, the real stuff. stuff. Like, And um, when Susan said that about like, oh, I can't just have fun anymore. Like, I want to have fun, but there's just such real heavy stuff that I feel like is out there. And so I had a um, a friend of, like a woman I met through networking. She does social media. She does social media for human trafficking. Okay. Um, Nova HDI and Just Ask Human Trafficking Prevention. And I talked about having the director on. And she's like, but you, your podcast is funny. Like, why would you have him on? I'm like, well, I feel a little like bait and switch. Like, the bait is like, I shit my pants, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, come on in. The water's fine. We're friendly here. I don't think I want to get in the water with you if that's what's happening. And then, oh, yeah. No, I don't. I, it's only happening. Not in the water. Yeah. Okay. No, All right. Yeah. I appreciate that. That's such a funny. That's so great. Like, I thank you. See, you are good. I was like, thought that. And then, mm-hmm, love it. I told you. If you gave yeah. me the opportunity. I appreciate it. I. Um, it's funny because. water. Nobody's going to. Yeah. No one will even know. Um <laughs> Uh, it's probably Lake Anna where it's like nuclear also. Yeah, exactly. So it just Excellent. it just bubbles away and yeah. you know. But yeah, anyway, I was like, no, I'm bait and switch because I wanna like I wanna joke about the stuff because I was always saying you can't stand up in front of a room where people are expecting to have fun and like or just be lighthearted or neutral mm-hmm. and go too deep, but you can I joke that that's what my book is because the whole first half of my book I wrote for, like, anybody. And then I was like, hey, you're kind of invested in this. I'm going to talk about Jesus now. Um, (laughs) But I also – I don't know if you read the dedication of my book. I don't read anything yet. You should read the dedication. Are you going to read it out loud? Oh, my gosh. For Austin, I couldn't ask for a bigger blessing than having you as a husband. But if I have to get cancer one more time for you to believe in Jesus, we're going to be in a serious fight for real. I wanted to ask you about this, but I felt like, and we're 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 
or yeah. over time already. Um, <laughs> well, and I'm so I'm worried now that I'm worried now that my stomach's going to start growling too. <laughs> okay, no, it's okay. And I try to always respect the time, but we never met before, so we had to talk more. Um, so another podcast, yeah. or maybe just coffee. We don't have to record it. Whatever you want is the whole like your husband being Jewish and you believe like. So I grew up Jersey. Everyone's half Jewish, yes. half not, because that's normal. Chrismica. Yeah. Got it. So that's normal. And then I feel like as my faith has grown in this whole Jesus thing, I'm like, that's kind of a big difference. So I would love to like. I would love to talk to you about yeah, it. Yeah. And I love that that is the freaking dedication of your book. Yes. It is the dedication of my book. Well, thank you again for coming, Christina. Um, just to remind everyone, your book, I Quit, Facing Cancer with Faith, Family, and Friends, and Sarcasm. There's a lot of that, too. Thank you. Love it. I'm excited to read your book, and I would love for you to come back after I read your book, and then we can maybe dive into it a little bit more. And I think there's also just a ton more we have to discuss. So. As long as there's coffee, I'll be here. Amen. Well, there's always Starbucks on the way, so. Amen. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. That's a wrap for now. Thanks for listening to Flushing It Out with Samantha Spittle. Music provided by TwinMusicom.org. Song titled Night at the Dance Hall. Sound editing by me, Jeremy Spittle. A special thanks to our studio sponsor, M&M Exteriors. Visit their website at mmexteriors.com for all of your roofing, siding, and gutter needs in the Northern Virginia area. Visit our website at flushingitout.com and be sure to subscribe. This has been a Spitfire production. That was the greatest thing I've ever heard.